When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the playoff preview iteration of this podcast, and no one better to do it with than Matt Moore of the Action Network, Lockdown NBA, Lockdown Nuggets, my frequent tiers podcast counterpart. And we do this again, tier style and Again, as is usual, Matt lays out a really fascinating criteria. I thought it was very clarifying for me, as is, of course, our conversation. This podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 code to get your 50% welcome bonus. And hope you enjoyed the podcast. Runs about an hour. Lots of great stuff in here. Thank you so much for coming on. Always love doing this with you. Excited to do it. I'm excited for the playoffs. Thanks for having me. I am extremely excited for the playoffs too. And as is usual for us, you know, this, this tiers does not include every NBA team because we're only doing the teams that are still alive. So we're recording this on Wednesday during the day. So that means the seven eights have happened, but the nine tens and the eight nine tens haven't happened yet. And as usual, you gave criteria, and I found these criteria. Abs- I found this absolutely fascinating in terms of how to separate out these playoff teams. Yeah, so uh, for me, where I've gotten to with the playoffs is that the playoffs are less of a matchup of two teams and their identities clashing. It is that. There's obviously an element of that. But it's become much more about can you – do you have the capability to counter what they do? Because the more times that you can be like, well, we're going to still be X – but we're going to adjust Y because you do A. The more you can do that, the more success you'll have. That variety, that diversity of play style and lineups, um, the skill set diversity, the positional diversity, all these types of things help a lot more. It's why we see teams that have all long defenders, that have all athletic guys, that have shooting at at least four spots. We see those teams success more often. It's why so often, okay, well, this is getting into crunch time and we're kind of struggling. Let's go small. Always kind of becomes the default answer unless you have one of those premier big men. And so the concept I, I, I wanted to try out was let's rank these teams in terms of how difficult of a problem are they to solve? Can you solve this team and how much work does it th- does it take to solve the problems that they present? Not just from a you have to out-execute because that's always going to be part of it in the playoffs, but do you just have like the functional ability on your roster and with the way that you play to be able to counter and match up with them? Exactly, and there are – Kind of two different parts of this that I, I, I worked on together. So actually, I'll, get, I'll do it in three. So one is, I how easy is it to identify the problem? How is it How easy is it to say, this is what they want to do? Is that amorphous? Is it kind of one thing? And then there's, okay, we know that one thing or that two things or whatever. Do, do we know how to attack it, how to minimize it, whatever else like that? And then the third component of that, which relates is, do we have the personnel to actually make that happen? Right. And... And so what part of in times what makes a problem hard to solve is lack of appropriate personnel. So yeah, that's why exactly as you mentioned, that's why 
long athletic people can be a really effective defensive solution is that you can do a lot of different things with those people, as we've seen, like the the 19 Raptors are a good example of that. The 2020 Heat are a good example of it, though they played some more limited defenders and made it work to their immense credit. And so you can do that. And then offensively, you brought up four spacing. That makes it a harder problem to solve. And so, yeah, I thought that led to a very interesting kind of criteria way of thinking about it. And I'll let you go first with identifying and then laying out your first tier. Uh, my first tier is called Gold Box Conjecture. And I looked this up because I'm not a math guy. Uh, it is, uh, on a quick Google search, it is one of the most difficult problems in math, and it states that every even number is the sum of two prime numbers. So 53 plus 47 equals 100, right? But due to the infinite nature of the sequence of numbers, it has so far been impossible to prove for definite. They can't get around the infinite nature of numbers. And so that to me was like a perfect kind of uh, way to outline the problems the top two tiers present, which are or top tier presents, which is just two teams. It's just the Bucks and the Suns. Um, it, it, does it make sense that the two, the reigning champs and the reigning Western Conference champs are this? Yes, but it also kind of shows you the issues. What's interesting, I think, about this one is I almost put the Suns in tier two because the absence of Dario Saric and their decision making in regards to uh, not picking up a small ball center and instead adding Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee, the Suns are less versatile than they were last year. They don't have all these different ways to beat you. They don't have all these different counters. They just do what they do unbelievably well. And for me, the key here is that if you have a, a counter for what they bring to the table with their pick and roll coverage, traditionally it's, all right, we're going to go small and we're going to switch everything and they've got a big on the floor and we don't, so we'll just go five out. Except that Aiden's elite at switching. Like Every time teams try and test him, it doesn't work out in part because they're really good at help defense. So the Suns have this level of execution that helps them to cover up for having to play big as well as having a big that can switch well enough to be able to do that. And on the other end, if you do decide to go small and switch, while I do not think that they do this often enough, they do have the option of feeding Aiden and having him punish those small ball units the way they did versus the Clippers last year by staying big. So for me, the two teams that are hardest to solve are the Bucks and the Suns. Obviously, with the Bucks, it's, hey, um, a- an easy counter for them is... You can generate threes versus them. Their defense really fell off over the last half of the season. Um, but we kind of assume that they're going to close out harder and be much better at those. They've shown the ability to switch. They can go to, to Giannis at small ball five. Uh, they can go big with Brooke Lopez. They can go big. They can go small. They have shooters. They have defenders. They have all these types of options. And ultimately, trying to solve Giannis at this point because of how he has become not a good, but a decent mid-range shooter, that presents enough of a problem uh, for them to be the toughest, I think, problem to solve in their conference. I love that you brought up the growth in Giannis's game. I So I, I th- actually have the Bucks at the top. I only have one team in my tier one, and that's the Suns, and I'll explain why in a second. But the reason why the Bucks are the top of tier two for me, it kind of, kind of two prongs, but one of them is we know what they want to do. So it's the idea that it's like, it, it, you, can, you can think about it. It's not Stan Van Gundy forming a wall anymore. This team is more nuanced than that. But the bigger reason why I have them in a different tier than the Suns is the idea of functional depth. And so Phoenix, yeah, we have to see if everybody is totally available. And as you mentioned, Sharks not being out is a problem there. But like Milwaukee, without PJ Tucker, without some of their, you know, w- without just kind of the, the, some of the other connective pieces, 
they don't they have a lot of players that I like, but they don't have that many where I'm just totally comfortable. You know, obviously their top players are fantastic, but like I mean, there will be times that Brook Lopez is challenging to have on the floor that that you can you can kind of make that work. And I love a lot of the conceptual stuff with the honest at the five. It was a cornerstone of their championship last year and deservedly so, but that relied a lot on a lot of different players and they don't have all of them available. And nobody to me has stepped up. I talked about this with mutual friend Seth Partno a few weeks ago about Connaughton's probably going to be one of the guys in that closing five, partially because Budenholzer trusts him and partially because he does a better job executing what the Bucks so desperately need in some of those circumstances than somebody like Grayson Allen. And, you know, like, where does George Hill fit into this and everything else? So for me, the Bucks are kind of a different, they're a different part of this, whereas the Suns, part of what makes me so enamored with them on this specific criteria, and I'm not saying they're my favorites to win the championship necessarily, I haven't articulated that yet in any way, not on this podcast, not anywhere else, is because, especially for me for the Suns, it's on the defensive end. It's that they have all these different players that can do things well, but they also don't have that many places that you can attack. And so creating a battle plan for them is just a gigantic pain. Yeah, so it's – they're all tough and they're all physical and they're all really disciplined. And that combination of problems I think is is an issue. So like you can stretch eight now and shoot threes if you have the guard to try and you know attempt that and really try and, and burn them up the way that teams have tried or done to limited success or various degrees success, I should say, versus the Jazz, right? Like that's a comp. It's okay. If you're going to stay big, then we're going to spread you out and we're going to attack you off the dribble. We're going to make you defend in space. But Aiton's just really good at switching and he's able to contain and they, they know how to help off and then rotate back and contest. They have such good help on helpers and understand all those sequences and timing. It gets really difficult. I, you know, offensive rebounds is obviously like where you can maybe counter that, but that this is the inherent issue is, well, if you're going small, you're not going to have the offensive rebound. Well, and, so. and, not, and not only that, but if the the risk calculus on going hard after offensive rebounds is that if you don't get it, and especially if you're using your bigs, Phoenix is probably getting a very good shot. And they're yeah. probably getting a very good shot for somebody who can convert it. And yeah. the Suns not really playing guys in the rotation who can't convert those kinds of looks is a huge challenge to navigate for other teams because you can't do some of those approaches. And like this is something that I've talked about a few, versus a few teams over the last couple of years is that if you're not a good transition offense, then it's easier to attack the offensive glass. And so you can do that with a little more impunity. There have been times I've criticized the Nets for that. This actually will be a huge problem for Philly, who we'll get to later in this project, is that like, okay, other than one or two players, they're not going to jam it down your throats if you go after that. So that means if your players are okay burning the candle at both ends, you can do it. But with Phoenix, nope, they're just going to destroy you. Yeah, and so for me, I do think the Bucks are... You're right about the wings with content. I, I do think that they sacrifice some of that depth. But I think a lot of this is that um, is Wes Matthews kind of a weak spot? Yeah. Um, is he enough of a weak spot to where it cancels out what mid and Drew and Giannis bring? No. So I, I'm very interested in how Bucks opponent, like high level Bucks opponents, handle helping off of Wes Matthews. 
Like, is yeah. that is that something they're comfortable with? Does he burn that enough? And like, that's it's just a part of the of, of playing the Suns that I I love so much about how James Jones has constructed this team. And it's funny because I criticized parts of it at the time. Are they they basically don't play guys that you can really do that. And it's That's part right. of why I really like the JaVale edition, even though he's not perfect and he gives them something different than Charge does for better and for worse. It's like, okay, how are you going to make that work? How are you going to do all these different the only, things? The only real thing I think you can do is you have to have a big guard. Like, let's say that Mavs win for round one, right? If Mavs win round one, I honestly think that Luke is going to attack CP3. Like, I think that's going to be the target. Sure. He's like, okay, yeah, you're the point guard, and you have incredibly good hands, and you are a great foul baiter, and you're a great defender in terms of your technique, but you're 37. And, 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 and also, kind of on those lines, I think we're going to see more teams try to make Chris Paul isolate against them. Yeah. And that isn't the greatest part of his game right now. I mean, he did have some huge ones. I mean— unbelievable clutch player this year and he you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do but I, I i'm still skeptical against the best of the best you know first round probably not a problem but after that we'll have to see against you know like a teams that don't have any bad defenders it can he can he do that and also there will be circumstances where you're getting if you can get let's say Aiton on the short roll and he makes good play really good plays out of the short roll but the narrowing the timing and forcing those decisions and having hands in the passing lanes like you you can you can make life hard on the Suns kind of the ball movement that they need and Devin Booker has taken a real step forward on both ends and the defensive growth for him is a big part of why I'm such a believer in Phoenix's defense in the playoffs but is he that guy and and part of why I I wanted to put the Bucks in tier one is it's hard not to put a team in tier one who has a competent structure and has a player who I believe will be the best player in damn near every series he plays. And that's Giannis. And generally speaking, that's the way these things work. Yeah. I also think, you know, um, at the end of all this is still, this kind of proves the point, right? Like if you have this and if you can do this and if you can beat this and if you, that's the whole thing is that there's all these ifs that you're going to have to have in order to beat Phoenix. I think that's tough. What's your tier two? My tier two, the way I described it is difficult to solve on both ends of the floor. So this isn't necessarily identifying the problem. It's, well, what do you do about it? And so the Bucks are at the top of this. And I considered having them into tier two by themselves because they are much better on this front than the other two teams. But I ended up with, in no particular order here, the Warriors and the Grizzlies. And huh. this is assuming that their point guards are are healthy. So the Warriors aren't going to be there the first couple games of, of their series against Denver. That's just not... It, this is, you know, we're thought, talking about the playoffs, not necessarily the first game of the playoffs. And the Warriors... We don't know like what their closing five is. We don't know what their best five is necessarily with the ascendance of Jordan Poole and everything else. But the possibility of them playing Curry, Poole, and Klay Thompson together creates some real challenges for other teams defensively because you have guys that you have to occupy that occupy your attention the entire time. And generally speaking, my theory of the case is going to be that the other guys can move the ball well and helping off of them you can do in specific circumstances, but then there will be some some challenges there. And then I think the underrated part of it, partially because of how much time Draymond Green missed this year, is there will be some bad defenders in the Warriors rotation, but they also communicate and move and they're going to be narrowing things down. Again, Poole's going to be a fascinating part of this question to not have that many players who are just attackable aggressively on that end. It's interesting. This is like this is why I love these exercises because we are um, the, we have one team in common. 
All right. So my tier two is the advanced Fourier system, which is AKA the will hunting problem. That's mm-hmm. what they put on the board in Goodwill hunting. Um, it's actually not that hard of a problem, but it looks really difficult. And that's why I put it on there. Um, I have Golden State. I do not have Memphis in this category. Um, I have four teams. Okay. I have the Miami Heat, mm-hmm. the Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, and the Toronto Raptors. Ooh. So the, these four teams have one thing in common. They switch, right? Like, I don't mean to be reductive with this. It's just like that's the identifying quality between them. And the reason that, that like, I do think that that matters, and switch isn't, like, as effective as it was circa 2017 when teams were just like, what do we do about this? And then later it was like, oh, you just slipped the big. That's, that's what you do with this. Um, but with Miami... You know, the, the, the counter would probably be like, well, yeah, but offensively, they're pretty easy to solve. And they are, except for their entire scheme is kind of based off like they have a low offensive ceiling, but they have a high offensive floor. And the reason that they have that is because they purposely were just like, we're going to get tough shot makers. Like we're, they are so reminiscent to me of the Celtics in 2008 and 2009, where it's like, OK, we're going to have like one key shooter. And then we're going to have some bigs and we're going to have a bunch of guys that could just get to their spots and they just hit tough shots. And yeah, like those are low percentage looks, but we have guys that can hit them at a high rate. Kyle Lowry, uh, who's not been good this year, but I still think they can probably come up with some big shots. Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Victor Oladipo to the degree that he's playing well recently. Right. And they supplement that with enough three point shooting and Bam's versatility. And you have kind of this model where it's like, okay, if you want to play big, we have the size to counter you. If you want to play small, we can switch everything. We can play zone. If you don't have the shooting, um, we can blitz and skirmish if you're a real problem on ball. They have so many defensive counters to what you want to do. And offensively, it's less a matter of they're this really complex thing to solve. And it's more, um, yeah, you know, you could you could solve it. You just beating it is going to be a, a real challenge because they're so damn tough. Uh, and Boston, I think, is built very much the same way, right, where it's we have we have just high IQ defenders all over and we can switch but we're different in that we can switch and scram and help and recover and double like we can stay in multiple coverages at once and that versatility really helps Toronto very much the same way like you have three teams four teams here really with Golden State given their overall profile where it's like the offense is mid it's not great like these offenses aren't elite they're just not but they're very much built for playoff basketball and that they understand how to create tough buckets Golden State I think honestly to a lesser degree but they cover that up by having you know the greatest shooters of all time and that just inherently forces issues and they're all very well like their schemes are very well built none of these teams this isn't interesting none of these teams attack your weakness offensively mm-hmm. like miami's not going to be like oh jimmy butler's going to get the switch and go one-on-one versus whoever they're just going to like run their stuff uh boston isn't going to like target the switch and really go at a dude they're just going <laughs> to run their stuff oh really that, i mean I, I think back to that raptors celtic series where i was banging my head against a wall that i mean granted Ime is a different coach and he might do better about at that than brad stevens did but that drove me completely insane two years ago yeah and then uh golden state the same way steph doesn't like go hunting well and Kerr, and Kerr doesn't change his system based yeah. on their opponent like that's yeah. just which which at times as somebody who is geographically proximate to them has again driven me insane at times i i will note that if robert williams were healthy if if that hadn't happened the suns are sorry the Clip, the celtics would have been tier two for me and possibly tier one like that's yeah. how good they were when they were at full strength but not having williams as well as the 
Tice Horford combo has played, it's just not the same thing. Like for me, yeah. that was that was why they fall down a tier. Miami's fascinating, and I totally agree with you on the merits. The idea that their offense is not difficult to strategize for, but you have to have the personnel and you have to actually do it. What I think is a great representation of this is, again, small sample size theater, of course. The Miami Heat played 134 crunch time minutes this year. They have a positive net rating in those minutes, but it's because their defense is completely appalling. You know, like they're, uh, they're I think it was third. No, they're fourth in clutch defense rating so far this year. They're also 24th in clutch offense. And for me, I think the biggest thing that put them in tier three instead of tier two for me is the baggage of last year. And yes, that Bucks team that they lost to ended up winning the championship. They had phenomenal personnel and they did everything basically perfectly. But I'm a little bit gun shy that Jimmy and Kyle can do that, can like can get can make those shots and can get to where they need to get to, especially if they're not drawing fouls at the same rate that they that they have been at their best moments against really good competition. I think so much of this is with with Miami is uh, I watched them versus that Celtics team two years ago and the league is different and the bubble's not here etc cetera, etc cetera. it's just that this the Heat honestly would play badly for three quarters and then win because they had one good quarter yep like they would have one good quarter where it was like no no, no we're gonna screw up everything that you do defensively and we're gonna dominate you offensively and that's gonna be the game. And it's those little bursts, I think, that can decide a game if it because that's part of the way Miami's built is we're just going to we're we're going to hang within the margin. We're just going to we're not going to go away. You're not going to get separation from us most times. It reminds me of those football teams that can't really blow somebody out. But if the game is close in the fourth quarter, you're just like, oh, God, you because you the cumulative work that it has taken to get to that point And you're still close. And then they have a little bit more in the tank. They have the personnel to shut you down. Like, I think that's totally that's totally fair. I am also living in both fear and delight of a potential Heat Raptors second round series, which you have both those teams in this tier, because yeah. it will be gross. It will be <laughs> tactically fun. Yes. It will be gross if it happens. What was uh, what was your argument for Memphis again? I didn't really make it. I, so for me with Memphis, it part of it is stopping them offensively now that they kind of have multiple threats, especially if Jaw is Jaw. And of course, that's that's part of the, the precept here. He looked great in the, the game that he played in before the before the game when everybody sat, is that I think of Jaw, especially with some of his passing, as there's a possibility, and maybe I'm overselling his possibility versus, let's say, like Trey. I, those guys are just tethered for me in many ways. But also, Memphis's defense can go in a lot of different directions, and I'm really interested in that. So you can, you have guys like Dylan Brooks, and depending on how they want to deploy, like Zaire Williams and DeAnthony Melton, you can do a lot with those guys kind of getting through screens and making life hard in that way. So like single threat teams, I think, are going to be a real challenge to score against Memphis. But then also, they can do a lot of stuff with the bigs, and I'm very excited to see how that works. Do you want to go small and try to be a little switchy? Do you want to try to use, do the idea that the Utah Jazz can't do of plug as many holes as humanly possible on the perimeter, but then have a big to kind of clean up the messes that do arise? Like they can, they can go in those directions while also using different players. Like I think Taylor Jenkins has done a really good job of this, using different players at the moments when they're actually useful. So like Steven Adams, not going to be great in every series, not going to be great in every moment, but in Adams Morant pick and roll with how nasty of a screener he is and how well after all those years with Russ and everything else, Steven Adams knows how to execute pick and rolls. There are certain teams that they're just going to carve up just in the base alignments are going to be really hard. 
So I, I'll just go ahead and spoil this. Uh, I have Grizzlies tier five. Wow. Uh, I I think they are immensely solvable. Interesting. I think being solvable and beatable are different. Sure. But um, if we talk about let's talk about the, the defense on the uh, if you're on offense versus them first. So they're going to have to play drop with with Adams and Adams is just not the guy that he used to be. And so you're going to if you have a good mid-range shooter, you're going to be able to generate looks versus that lineup consistently and punish them for it over and over and over again. Especially this is a lot of it. I did the MVP case for Jaw. Like I wrote the MVP case for Jaw um and Jaw's defense is not good. It's bad. Straight up bad. It, it's straight up bad. And forcing him over screens over and over and over again, one's going to wear him out physically. And two, that's going to get you clearance. And so you're going to create these high percentage looks if you have the personnel. Now, not all teams have. And like that's inherently, that's why teams play drop, right? Is it's hard to have it. But in the playoffs, it's why we see so many teams struggle to play drop is because this is where the tough shot makers live. This is where they are. It's okay versus Orlando. This is where you're going to have trouble. If it's Luka Doncic in the second round, if it's Donovan Mitchell in the second round, like that's going to be an issue. If it's um, not Donovan, that would be in the uh, four or five. But if it's um, the two three, actually is okay. The three six matchup is actually okay for them, given how Golden State runs. But even in this matchup that they're going to be in, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, like that's going to be a problem. D'Lo has eaten versus the Grizzlies this year for just that reason. He has. Okay, and you say like, but we don't have to play him. We're going to go with Jaron at the five. All right, except that now you still have the same problem of you have one guy on the court, John Morant, who's very important to your offense that you can't take off, who is a target in switches. Jaw's switch defense, not great. It's better, I think, and that's a good counter, and they have good help on the inside, and Bain's good, and Kyle Anderson's good, and Jaron's a DPOI candidate, uh, and Dylan Brooks is, is a foul magnet, but still, like, he's pesky and will well, at least play physical. And on right? the Dylan Brooks front, it's so much better for the Grizzlies now that him being in foul trouble doesn't kill them, whereas yeah. a couple of years ago, that was a huge problem. Yeah. But so on 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 defense, you still have this kind of attack point. And with Jaron, I will say, if you get Jaron into a sequence where he's got to cover a lot of ground, he can get caught in between. Sometimes he overthinks things a little bit. Sometimes in between rotations, um, and then on offense, their half court offense is bad. It's just it's been bad. They are so reliant on their transition attack. Now their defense is good enough that they're going to get enough stops and have those transition opportunities. But if you're just like, we have to get back, don't crash the boards, just get back. We're not worrying about offensive rebounds. We're just going to get, we have to get back and we've got to slow jaw down at half court. We got before he gets to second gear inside the three point arc, we have got to stop the ball. Right. But there is like a formula there doing it's very difficult, but the formula is there. And when you get them into these crunch time, close situations, they just and part of it is when you slow the game down, jaw gets frustrated and he pushes even harder to try and push through that. And I think Bane in, can sometimes get in situations where he's like, he has a, a weird sense of, uh, okay, I need to defer now. No, 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 I need to press. And he, he's kind of caught in between. Dylan Brooks is always pressing. That's the only way that he knows how. And Jaron can get a little gun shy as well. So for me, I find them to be, they're going to be tough because of how good they are at what they do. But I don't necessarily know that they have a, a lot of counters and options. And if you can do the things that are going to hurt them, I do think they're solvable. You have convinced me to move them down a tier. And one stat on that, you brought up their half-court offensive limitations. When John Moran is on the floor, so I have now defined, described cleaning the glasses version of this as the first shot half-court offense because offensive rebounds are kind of its own thing. Yeah. The Memphis Grizzlies 
have a 94 offensive rating when John Morant is on half-court offense, first-shot offensive rating when John Morant's on the floor. That's below average. And then that drops to like a 92.5 when he's when he's not on the floor, and that's really not great. And as, as you brought up, the transition game is really good, but you can tone that down by virtue of just focusing more on it and that's also the the line between the the 82 games and the 16 games so yeah i am i think that is a very persuasive case i'm going to move the grizzlies down into my tier three which is um the way i described it is difficult to solve on one end of the floor and so Mm. these are teams that there's a a real challenge and i mean a lot of them we've already discussed so i think we should take a little bit more time to talk about the raptors because they're coming into this really well and they're the amount of players that they can throw into a series that aren't perfect but can do things to make your life a living hell is very very high they have one of if not the best coach in the league in nick nurse and i thought that the the playoffs in particular that he had in 2019 was a was a really impressive performance and i'm excited to see what he can do this year and offensively i think they will run into challenges you know, against the best of the best, another team that has a very limited first shot half court offense. But there are things that they do that will be that will make life difficult. Like so Toronto is so good and so aggressive on the offensive glass. You have to change what you want to do because of it. Because if you don't, then they're just going to take advantage. Here's what's interesting about Toronto. So like, I have them here because they do have like all these counters. Um, what's kind of fun about them offensively, even though they're pretty bad offensively, uh, is that here's here's how Toronto kills you offensively. Siakam's going to do stuff one on one that's just very difficult to counter, and there's not really like there's nobody that can guard him just because that that combination of speed, footwork, and touch is just difficult. I've just seen him smoke so many guys that at this point, I, I have no reason to think that there's really a counter for him. He's going to get if he's in if he's in a good mental place, which can sometimes drift. Uh, if he's locked in, then I think Siakam is is one of the tougher covers that we have right now. That's why I think he's all NBA. Um, but what's interesting is like. They kill you so much in the margins. Yes. You you have a good sequence, and you shut off perimeter containment, and you manage to make your rotations, and you don't get the offensive rebound. And all of a sudden, the defense, you realize – like, you can just watch it. You're like, oh, no. They lost Fred Van Vliet. Splash. Like, just – they – if you give them high leverage opportunities, they murder you with it. They they're, just kill you with like it. They're like the bizarro – pre-hardened trade nets where the nets gave everything on the margins but were so good that it didn't matter the raptors yeah. don't have the other stuff but take away everything on the margins yeah exactly so like they, they just they win all these things and they have some and here's what's fascinating about this that sixers matchup is this should be if, if there's one counter for toronto it should be they're rolling out Kem birch chris boucher and starting precious achua at center like precious has been good this year added like his three-pointer has been really good over the last month uh boucher done a lot of work on the defensive end gotten better and beat should annihilate that team annihilate they should just run three dudes to the weak side and play two-man game strong and just hammer that but they're so good at what they do they're so long and athletic they're so physical and they understand that that is a weakness and so they're just never going to try to do it in the base like one of my favorite things about nick nurse is understanding what he can and cannot expect his team to do this was like such a revelation for me because the way that we wind up talking about basketball a lot is like we think about in in the theoretics of like well what happens when you have to do this and then Wes Unseld, when I was asking about Nikola Jokic, I was like, what are you going to do when, when Steph gets switched on to Curry in the playoffs? 
or when Jokic gets Steph, switched on to, on to Steph in the playoffs. And Wes looked at me like, and he was like, Matt, why would we ever switch Nicole on to Steph? Why would we do that? Like, and I, it, it was a very basic thing, but it was just basically like, no, no, no. Even if there are the other options aren't good, we don't have to choose the the worst one. We don't have to, to opt for that. We can all like there are other things that you can do, and the Raptors are the best at that. Of we're just not going to give you the easy answer. We're going to make like whatever you're going to do. It's going to have to be difficult. Uh, and Toronto is so good in those aspects. It makes them, I think, really tough to solve. I think you know defensively against them. They're a lot easier. I think if you, you you play physical with them, you try and limit three pointers. They don't have shooters. They just don't. Like William Lou's been on this all year, covers the Raptors. They just don't have shooters. So if you're disciplined, like, I honestly I will tell you here, I have them very high in this. Um, I'm on the Sixers in this matchup. Interesting, because I think everyone is just really, really getting ahead of themselves with the fact that Toronto is difficult in the regular season because of all the stuff that we talk about. They make it difficult for you in an it, environment it, where it's like it's a regular season. If you make it difficult, then most teams are going to lose. So they there are your 2017 Celtics. I remember you and I had a long conversation about that back in the day. Yeah, like if you're if you try harder, play your starters more minutes as they have. And you do all the and and you are smarter than the average team, and they are very much smarter than the average team. Your win percentage is going to be pretty high, and in the playoffs, everyone tries and everyone's locked in. And well, and like and here's where the question becomes: it basically just becomes like, do you think Doc Rivers can get his more talented team to not to just a not below average level because then they have more firepower? And and, and can he put those players in a position to succeed? And that's yeah. that's a big question. It is part of why, as of right now, I am picking the Raptors in that series is that I don't trust that he can. And on the tryhard front, I think this is one of the most impressive stats about the Raptors this year. I used to obsess over this with the Oklahoma City Thunder back in the day. The Raptors, either the best or second best offensive rebounding team in the league, depending on how you want to kind of define stuff. Them and the Grizz were the two top two in terms of offensive rebound rate. I like to look in those circumstances at how often can the team also prevent the other team from getting out in transition? Because in the old school thinking about this, that was the choice. The choice was hitting the offensive glass and conceding transition points or not doing that. And we talked about that for Memphis. Toronto, great offensive rebounding team, ninth lowest opponent percentage of plays in transition. Like That is super impressive, but it leads into your point, which is, can you do that when everybody else has a higher effort level and talent level than they were playing with in the regular season when you don't have that other level to go up to. And yeah. it's it's such an important question. Um, your tier two is... Now it's just the Bucks and Warriors because I, you have convinced me to remove the Grizzlies and they are now in my tier three. Plenty more tiers to discuss with Matt Moore on these playoffs, but first a message from betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that baseball is back, and the start of the Major League Baseball season is finally here. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It is super easy to get started, so head to their website today or use your mobile device to join. But make sure to use our promo code, CLNS50. To receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, also tells them you came from us at Bet Online, where the game starts. My tier three is huge, so it's difficult to solve on one end of the floor. As I mentioned originally, the Celtics would have been a tier higher, but because of the absence oh. of, Rob, of Rob Williams, they're here. 
the Grizzlies we've talked about, the Heat we've talked about, the Raptors we've talked about. This is where I have the Sixers and Nuggets, these two unbelievably talented centers, but they also, and, and Jokic has no offensive weaknesses, so it's just like, but you, but the rest of the team sure has some, and that is a, a very real problem. And do you, would you rather talk about Denver or Philly first? Hmm. Let's talk about Philly, because I also have them tier three. Let's do that. Yeah, so Philly, their theoretical ceiling is pretty high. Not insanely high, but pretty high. Part of that's because their talent doesn't make sense with what they want to do now yet. It's going to take Daryl Morey a year or two to get there. But when, you know, if you can't defend their pick and roll two and a half, let's not even say two on two, because that's a lot to ask when it's Harden and Embiid. But if you can't defend it two and a half, onto they're going to be creating good looks they have enough players that can hit those granted a lot of those players are immensely flawed defensively so that is a real challenge like they're but the two big things that give me pause are is Harden that guy right now and whether that's dealing with some sort of issue or just that he's getting older and doesn't have the fastball in the same way that he did and the players that Philly has to have on the floor to make that theory work make them immensely attackable on the other end of the floor, whether we're talking transition or half court. I think I'm hot. Like, I have them tier three, and I have them because I have uh, fewer teams up at the top, I think. Well, actually, you have fewer, fewer teams, but we're about on the same level. We're here. about on the same uh, level. Um, I think, like, I think I'm a little higher on him, and, and one of the reasons is I did the MVP breakdown for Embiid. And I really dug into his defensive stuff, and he's so much better than he was last year. He is. Yeah. He's just gotten way better at playing at the level and way better at playing. Now, like a lot of this is also – here's an interesting question, right, is for this exercise, do I approach this as what they can do because they have B-ball Paul? Or do I approach this as what they will do because Doc Rivers loves DeAndre Jordan? Like I, I, de- I deal with teams as they will be rather than what they could be unless yeah. there's a reason to believe that that could change. Right. Like there's the the interesting idea, Nate talks about this all the time, of like coaches, when they get their back up against the wall, they actually play what they think is the best and they might not do that at other points. I don't trust Doc Rivers to have identified that. Yeah. Ever. But I think I think also a lot of this is um, because of where I think Embiid is at in his career and because of the shift that there's kind of been as of late. Um, they were so protective of him under – understandably so given the injury situation, like under Brett Brown and under previous management and all those types of things. And both Doc Rivers is uh, like obviously played in the 90s, so he's very much more of a if you think you can go, let's go. And Daryl Morey is is very much a the long term cost is worth the title. So I don't think there is protective of Joel. Like if Joel doesn't think he can go and he needs a breather, then that's okay. Or if he's sore, that's one thing. But I think Joel's also in a place where he kind of thinks I need to try and push right now. Um, And so the big thing here is just like Joel's so tough to solve. And particularly for me, what what I think has been interesting is like there's a lot of focus on Harden, understandably because of the name value. But a lot of me is like, look, you can't leave James alone. He will do enough if you just don't guard him or if you don't put the best guy on him. And Tyrese has gotten to a level with Maxi that I I just think that if you put your best guy, you better have two best guys because if you put your best guy on Harden, Maxi's going to kill you. And if you put your best guy on Maxi, Harden's getting an easier matchup. And Harden knows how to do that. Do you so, think that Doc Rivers will identify that Maxi has the easier matchup and lean heavily on him? Because I agree with you in the in theory that that is a potential way to optimize. It just feels to me like he's going to lean on his best guys, irrespective of that sort of constraint. Right. Um, I, I worry about the defense. That's definitely is a concern. I just think that they 
they are not all that good. But I also I do look at them as if we're talking, you know, it's very your description. I think of, of the tier is accurate. Mine's you're gonna need some chalk, which is that they present problems on both ends. Like in B, causes enough problems with his rim protection, and you do have Tybal in the non-Toronto games to disrupt things. If you need a stopper, you have a stopper. And the other guys like Tobias isn't great defensively. He's not horrible. Maxi is not elite, but he's pretty good. And I, I look at their overall kind of construction and go that there's enough there. There are weak there are weaknesses, but not enough to counter. I think how good their offense is, especially now that Tobias Harris can shoot again. So that's why I have the Sixers there. Um, who is your other team? You have the Sixers and oh, so Sixers? Sixers and Nuggets were the two that I want to discuss. I actually have another three that we haven't discussed. This is a okay. this is a big tier, and so. For Denver, Jokic is unbelievable, and Jokic as a playoff player, especially on the offensive end, we 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 have it, and it's been interesting. Part for some reasons, there have been a lot of stupid parts of the MVP argument, and I, I think that Jokic's playoff record is is very strong overall. And I thought that you know, especially in nineteen, sorry, twenty twenty, I was forgetting which year was the bubble, did a really good job. But the reason Denver can't really be higher than this is just, I think that they've done an incredible job on both ends of the floor of papering over flaws and Jokic being the guy who does that better than anybody in the league, better than almost anybody I've ever seen offensively. But defensively, I think that stuff won't work as well against the best of the best. Yeah, I have them tier five too. With Interesting. Um, is that because like Jokic is a pain in the ass to solve, but it's not hard? Uh, you, you know, like you know what it is. Is that the idea? It's that I think here's the thing is that the overall like Jokic you can't solve, but you don't have to solve Jokic. That's the problem. The the Dirk Nowitzki strategy. Um, yeah, it's like the Warriors have two very good options in this first round series, and it's they can stay home with Kevon Looney or Draymond and just say, you're not going to get open threes and you're going to have to score over and over and over again. And Jokic will do that. Jokic will score 35. I don't think he'll score 40. I think he'll score 35, 35 to 39 points in those situations. And he'll do so efficiently, but you're trading twos for threes and you lose the math problem. Can't do it. Okay. Or you can go the other route, which is we're just going to take you away. We're going to double and triple team you. We're going to absolutely hammer you. And we're going to dare Aaron. And we're not going to let give up cuts. We're going to watch the dunker spot and we're going to watch we're going to pay attention as teams so often do not in the regular season. And we're going to make, we're going to say, I want Monte Morris and we're going to make Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Austin Rivers, maybe Bones Highland, uh, who's a good shooter. Um, we're going to make you guys hit threes. You guys are going to have to hit open threes. Open threes. You get, uh, take all you want. And Denver just doesn't have it. Jamal and MPJ are there. This team is is like tier two, maybe tier tier one. Like this may honestly be tier one if they have those two guys back fully healthy. But they don't. So as a stand, and then defensively, they have the they were so good in the early part of the season when you could foul, and they are so bad now that you can't. They have the worst point of attack defense of any team in the playoffs. There is no team in the playoffs. Even if Atlanta were to make it, we're recording this on – uh, Wednesday, if Atlanta makes it, Atlanta's defense, in my opinion, at point of attack is better than Denver's. You can't stay in front of anybody. And how many teams does that kill you against? It's death versus the Warriors. It's death versus the Grizzlies. It's death versus the Suns. So to me, um, I think the Nuggets are very solvable and they're also very beatable uh, with where they're at in the season. They just too many minutes for the starters early in the season because of all their injuries coming off of three truncated years with long playoff, well, not long, but playoff runs 
and short off seasons. They're just worn out missing those two top t- top guys. So totally um, fair. And, I, and, I, and I think it's fair to draw a line of distinction between I didn't do this, but between them and Brooklyn, where Brooklyn, because of their twin threats, like they're just going to be games where you just can't do anything. Like It's just like, well, well crap. <laughs> Yeah, I have Nets here in this tier, actually. I have them in tier three. Mm-hmm. Um, makes, it makes sense. I mean, like, Brooklyn, they're, it's so funny how I have I have very little faith in them game to game yep. in terms of, like, blowing teams out. Like, they've let, they, like, that game that they had on Sunday against the Pacers, it's just like, everybody's still in it, and, and it doesn't feel like they can go up another level because the players who can do that are... I mean, like you saw Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving last night. Like, what? What? The, what? What are they going to do? Are they going to like, so, so, like, just like teleport all over the court? Is that the next thing there? But they are maybe the second or third easiest team in the playoffs to solve defensively. It's just such a weird question, right? Of like, I think I think maybe solve is a good thing to kind of define here. It's like, can you get it to a point where you can live with it? And I think the Nets are difficult to solve, but they're not impossible to solve. Where like you're going to have to accept KD. Kyrie's a little different. Like I think uh if it if it's a conference finals and it's Nets Sixers, I think you can probably honestly play Tybal a little bit in that series and just be like, I just need you to hound Kyrie. Like just make it difficult. Don't foul him. That's gonna be the key. Like, Don't foul. Just a challenge. But just make it difficult for him. And I think Kyrie, you can drag down the efficiency a little bit. You can't do it with KD. You just can't. There's nothing you can do. But so much of their offense is built around kind of panicking about those guys. And if you stay disciplined and you're like, we're just not going to like, we're not going to give up open threes. We're we're going to we're going to challenge Bruce Brown to create on his own. We're going to attack Nick Claxton with size to whatever degree that we have it. You do need multiple things to beat the Nets. But you don't need – they're not going to apply so much pressure on you that you're just like mentally breaking down. That's like to me is a lot of it is they deflate you just with you did everything right and you still lost. They don't deflate you with you tried really hard and you could not get ahead of what they do. Yeah, I, I think of playing the Nets as a volume play. Like it's yeah. a seven-game series where there will be nights that you do everything right and you lose. But they give up so much that there will be nights that you do everything right and you beat them by 15 in this iteration of the franchise. And so the like one of the things that I've been lingering on with Brooklyn is just how truly horrendous they've been on the defensive glass. And it's a risky game against Brooklyn because their transition offense when KD and Kyrie have been on the floor together has been very good. There were times in the year where their transition offense was a little less potent, but it's been it's been pretty damn good. They're going to have those guys on the floor a lot. But they just don't re- like they they can punish you if they get it, but they're they can't really stop you from getting them in that same respect. And so yeah, I mean like so they gave up for example like about a twenty eight percent offensive rebound rate, and then I believe they gave up a really high shooting percentage on those you know on those second attempts, and they it, it's going to be a real challenge for them to navigate. Drummond maybe could help a little bit, but not not generally. And so I, I think that for Brooklyn, there it, it's so weird that you kind of have this duality both ways. It's like the undeniability of those two guys versus the extreme deniability of everything else. I have, yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. I, 
I think well here here is what's interesting. Uh, I think my tier three is kind of interesting because we have we have the Sixers and the Nets. I have two very very surprising teams. I think here. Okay. Uh, I have the Mavericks and I have the Jazz. Those are my last two teams here too. Yeah. So like with Utah, it, it, it they do get overrated and over no they get overstated in terms of how solvable they are. Like they do make things difficult on you. They do like they're going to execute well enough to create open threes, and that, that's why their offense is so good. Um, they are. They do get. They do get stuck with the switch. It is a problem. Uh, it's more of a problem on the offensive end. You know, some of that is like, look, if if they just have guys make plays, they can maybe get past it. If Donovan can just, all right, he's gonna like, they're gonna have to target whatever. They, if I'll put it this way, if you don't have a weak spot defensively, if you're like, this is the whole thing with the Clippers, right? And the Suns is, if there's not a guy you can target, then they're in trouble. But they can at least theoretically, if they have it, if they face a team that's not as strong, and Dallas is like a really interesting one of who do you target if they're gonna switch everything? What who are you gonna target in this matchup? Do you target Powell? Do you target I think Kleba is maybe an option if he's on the court? Do you target Brunson because he's smaller? Like there's all do you target Luca? Like there's all these kind of ideas of, of who you can challenge, but there's not like an obvious one, which is what makes it interesting. Um they and, would be but then but then if they can make it to that, then you face the Suns and congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. You're <laughs> you done. you um, ran up against your specific buzzsaw. Yeah. Uh and so, you know, if Utah managed to make it into the three six, then I think that there's a really good chance they make the conference finals. Because of how kind of low I've talked about Memphis here, um, and I don't think Memphis does well in controlled environments versus like they want to play in chaos. And the Jazz are the opposite of that. The Jazz are very much like they they hate chaos. That they don't they do not want chaos. And so um, the Jazz are, are still tough. Dallas, I just think is interesting from the perspective of. Uh, Luca is so singularly good at punishing whatever do you do, and also like he's gotten to the point where he punishes your strengths, which I think is a really interesting thing. Like him switching on a Giannis, like getting the switch from Giannis and then punishing that, or getting the switch versus like he made the mistake versus Gobert in that one regular season matchup. But there are also like things that they can do if if kid does go to him and say, "Hey, I know you want to, I know you think you can take him. Let's try moving Gobert out of the paint on the switch and then attacking somebody else." Um, More Dallas, the, the yeah. idea that has worked well against Miami, for example, in the past. Yeah. And so like Dallas and, and Utah are kind of like these opposite things where uh, Dallas is like, hey, we're going to we present, you know, a, a five out problem. And Jazz are the opposite where they're like, hey, we present this, you know, traditional drop big problem. And so they both have real weaknesses. And that's what makes I think that matchup really interesting. But they're both good enough at what they do, whether it's systemic offense with Utah or individual offense with Dallas that I think uh, they belong in this tier together. I'm very interested in how Dallas's defense fares. You brought it up in the specific matchup against Utah, but let's say they make it through to the next round. About what can they, what do they what do they want to take away from Phoenix? What can they take away? And are we potentially? I, I'm I, I'm hopeful that we get that Mavs Sun series in part because I want to see both Booker and Luca in that series against a team of that caliber. And I don't think those guys are going to spend much time guarding each other. That's not what this is about. This isn't the mano a mano, but. Both teams have a lot of different ways to try to defend those guys. And I I hope that we get there because I've been ruminating on the idea that you brought up to how the Clippers are this uniquely bad matchup for the Jazz. And I I, I, or unusually bad. Uniquely, there are a couple other teams that are there. But 
I think about that in terms of Luka as well, and that they have all these different players. And like last year, you had this weird thing where Kawhi Leonard's first round was one of the best single rounds I've seen a player play in the last decade, and especially the last four games of that series. But then he was done, you know, shortly thereafter due to, the, due to that injury. And so we didn't get, you know, we didn't get the body of work, even like the two rounds we got from KD. And I have this theory that even though he's, you know, we're still pre-prime Luka, that he's been this, he that there's this incredibly dominant, just like, oh shit, what do we do player in there that we just haven't gotten to see because they've run into a team that can handle that. I think so. I think the fourth quarter stuff I think is interesting in terms of how gassed he gets. True. That, and and that's yeah. why so you brought up who do you attack? To me you attack Luca early. Yeah. And you try to try to get try to get that fuel gauge down to like three quarters, half tank as early as you can, and then after that you see where things are. Like with Mitchell, like that should be the game plan going in. Is it just should be if Luca's going to play, especially on that calf? But even let's ignore the calf for a second. Let's let's take it in a theoretical universe where he's not hurt. It, it just needs to be right off the bat. Um, okay, are you going to play drop? Then I'm going to burn you up like I did the Nuggets. I'm going to burn you up. Yeah, are you going to play switch? Okay, then I'm going to absolutely target Luca into oblivion. I am going to make him defend me in space and. There's a lot of, like, this is the whole comp, but here's part of the issue with the Jazz, right? Where it gets, we're talking about this in the theoretics and the scheme. And some of this gets into, uh, they have this internal conflict with that because they really do look at it and they go, but but Donovan, we're so good at what we do. Like, why don't we trust the system? And it's like, because you have to, so much of this is about like, can you break what they do? The whole thing with the Nuggets to me is can Jokic score so much that mentally and emotionally the Warriors are like, we've got, we've got to help. We cannot play him single coverage. We're going to have to get the ball out of his hands every single time. The only problem is then it's just like, okay, well, who else is going to do anything? Right. But if the Nuggets can find somebody who can do something, they have a shot because that really is like they are one of the few teams that can actually go with the Warriors. You know, if they go like, we're going to try and play you straight up. We think the Draymond can stop you. If Jokic breaks that, then all of a sudden the Warriors are like, we're in rotation. They don't want to be in rotation. They don't want to do that. And it's the exact same thing with um, the Jazz only on the offensive end where it's like, can you just make can you make them get out of their offense and if they get out of their offense, they tend to fall apart because they don't trust each other. And that, to me, is such a big part of it. It's a great point. And uh, I, I think I'm pretty good with our discussion of these teams. That means yep. I think we have pretty much the same. Oh, no, you've talked about a couple of your, your lower ones. So my tier four, I, I described it as nothing to solve, but still a tough out. And the Hawks are the front of this list. You could argue that this is underselling their offense and Trey is amazing. But their defense has been very flawed, and they, the the I I think that it's maybe just a little bit it's a little bit more straightforward to me. But maybe I'm underselling it. What are the teams that you have in this one? Oh, so I'll, yeah, I'll give you all of them. So nothing to solve, but still a tough out. Hawks, the Cavs with Jared Allen, um, okay. Timberwolves, and Clippers. Okay, um, yeah, we're online here. I have Wolves, Clippers, Hawks. Yep. So I will say, like, right now, you know, I don't know what to do with the Cavs at this point, right? Um, yeah, Cavs with Jared Allen is definitely in Tier 4. That's, that's a good approach. That, that, that's, the way, that's the way I wanted to think about it because, yeah, them, I, them without him when we saw it. We saw it on Tuesday. It's just a different I, I label this double-check your work. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wolves, so much of it is they want to do two things right now. They have two schemes, basically, in pick-and-roll coverage. They want to blitz you. And they want to switch and they want to force turnovers at every single turn and get out and run. Um, I think you saw in the Clippers game the the goal with, with Towns. You also, I think, kind of see with the Clippers specifically in this tier that that game was so instructive, right? Where it's like, hey, if you take out Towns, your chances of winning versus the Wolves go way up. 
as good as Ant is, and he's amazing. I think he he's uh, he's like on track to be the better player. But what happened in that game was uh, just in such a typical thing with the Clippers. Again, we talked about like can you break them? They lost that 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 they lost there because Tyloo went to the Marcus Morris small ball lineup and was like, "This is my closing lineup. This is what got us past the Jazz. This is what I'm going with." If you break it the way that the Wolves did with Nas Reed, if you can break their small ball lineup, now the Clippers are like, we have to go back to Zubach. And Zubach is not a weakness in certain matchups, but he is in a lot of them because of what you have to play. Then you're back into, all right, if you have the guards, you're like, all right, now we can attack. So you can rebalance things in your favor. And with the Wolves, it's kind of the same thing where if they want to blitz you, if you just, if you don't turn the ball over and you just get them into that basic sequence of short roll, center or forward, making the pass to the corner, those trigger actions are really easy to beat for the Wolves. You can generate corner threes pretty consistently. Uh, they're, they've, they're switching a lot more. It was really fascinating watching this. They started switching. Dane Moore did a great job covering this. They started switching before the All-Star break, but they were tired. And so their numbers were awful. And they were awful coming out of the all-star break switching and it was terrible and you were just like you know there was this whole thing of like maybe they should just go back to their base coverage of putting two at the level because they're so bad at this but they they started balancing it and they stuck with it just enough and now if you look at their all-star numbers on switch since the break they're really good so like they just got better that was why i was on the wolves last night in that game is i was like oh they're good enough at this to do this they can they can actually they have more than one thing that they can do and they're good enough at it. The only problem is just there are enough weak spots there, I think, for them to be able to be countered. With Atlanta, so much of this is just like, hey, do you guys feel like defending at all tonight? Because if you, yeah. you feel like defending at all tonight, you guys might have a chance because your offense is so good. But if you don't feel like defending tonight like you so rarely do, you're going to get beat just because I have zero faith in your willingness to actually commit yourself to point of attack. Your willingness or even, in many cases, your capacity. Yeah. Which is a, a, a real problem. And and Atlanta, it's such a fascinating difference between, and, and some of this is just your accumulating talent, you haven't gotten to the optimizing talent phase of this yet. And I think about part of the argument for Russell Westbrook's MVP years ago was the idea that he was this individual force offensively that actually allowed the Thunder to play much more limited offensive players around him and still be fine. And then they were, they had their defense, which was a really, it was a really kind of nuanced argument, but it made sense. And for Atlanta, there there may be a case that Trey Young is that good, that he is he is at that level. But the Hawks have a bunch of offensive players, and so you just don't have you don't have the possibility of even trying that. And so instead, it's like, oh great, so you have Young and Herder, and they have like the volume of capable defenders on this team is just so low. Yeah, it just it's it's terrible. So. What's funny is I still have them tier four because their sure. offense is so high. Absolutely. Like, they, it's like they, they, they still, especially with John Collins, I just think he's such a big deal um, for what they're able to do. And I, 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 I'm a guy that like really buys into when I watched last year, both in the Sixer series and honestly versus the Bucks. Collins was the guy that was still like going 100 miles an hour, pushing himself as hard as possible every single possession, no matter what the situation was. Like his level of bring it versatility. I think Collins is so like I pray, I pray that finally they trade him and he gets moved somewhere else. I would love to see him on a different team at this point with what he's able to do this summer. Um, my tier five is elementary, dear Watson. Uh, and this is like they're pretty easy. Uh, it's the Bulls, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, Spurs or Pelicans, if they make it, uh, and the Hornets. These teams are all like very obvious. Like they're just very transparent. Um, with the Hornets, it's size. They want to switch everything. If you have size to punish them, 
and speed, you're going to be able to generate the offense that you need to do. Uh, defensively, a lot of it is like they have guys that you can. If you stay home on Terry Rozier, I think a lot of it is like you also need to put a lot of pressure on on Lamelo Ball and just like make it difficult for him, but focus him as the usage match matchup. Um, the Grizzlies I've talked about in terms of their half court offense and the stuff we talked about earlier. The Nuggets, same kind of thing, where they just don't have the weapons. Chicago, I think it's sad that they're here because they were they were honestly at mid season where probably tier two tier three somewhere in there they were a lot more versatile they could do a lot more stuff and the absence of lonzo just drag a drug on them and drug on them and drug on them and now like the shooting variance is kind of normalized and it's just like okay live with derozan he's going to shoot 44 percent on on mid-range that's going to be good levine's going to shoot probably 45 46 it's gonna be good they're not going to take enough threes uh they have to play drop because of Vucevic. they will struggle when they try and run anything else they uh, are really great in transition, but as long as you get back, you can really deter them. And so it's it's just it's a bummer of an end for such a good a good fun team. But they are, in my opinion, extremely solvable. I agree, and I have them down here as well. I called this tier just around like their teams <laughs> that are around, and and that's part of it. And for New Orleans, we're doing this before the nine ten game. Is that something I've identified with them is, you know, Herb and some of these other guys have done really well defensively is that if they're facing a team that has multiple perimeter threats, it could be a challenge for them to navigate just how to how they want to do that. And they're, the, it's hilarious that the Pels and the Spurs are playing each other because one other part of it is that they have these things that they do well, but against really high level teams, you wonder whether that's just enough. Like even if it's sort of the opposite, it's a parallel argument, but not the, I was going to say the opposite. It's not that of the Nets where it's like, even if you do what, works is that enough yeah and that's why they're here yeah i think i think a lot of it is if you think of it like a um all right they're this they're they're like this giant moving machine coming at you and they've got this giant shield in front a battering ram that you just can't do anything about but the but the backside of the vehicle is completely exposed you just get around the backside of it get on top of it and you can attack it and that's that's to me is how those teams are Anything else to discuss? I'm always worried we forgot a team, but I don't think we did. I don't did. think so. I have so. everybody written down. Let me just make a quick run through. No, I think we're there. I think we're good. Oh, Fun so I'll ask, you, I'll ask you one thing. What second round or beyond series would you be most excited to see? Ooh, good question. You know, Celtics box is the easy one. That's box just makes me queasy. I just, I'm just queasy about it. Um, I want to see Sixers. I want to see Sixers heat <clears throat> because Bam out of bio for his career is seven and three straight up versus Joel Embiid seven and three. I think that's a really interesting stat. That's like a team stat, right? And there's a lot of context to it, but I think that's very fascinating. And Joel, the, the stats say that Joel puts up volume numbers, but doesn't shoot efficiently. And so I really want to see Eric Spolstra versus this Sixers team with I, this lineup. I like that you brought up that because there have been two teams that I've thought don't necessarily have perfect personnel, but have defended and beat really well when I've watched them over the years. And they just so happen to be on the Sixers side of the bracket. Like you have the the Raptors in round one, and then potentially the Heat in round two. And I'd love to I'd love to see Nuggets Grizzlies. But I just don't think it's going to happen because I think Memphis is just too limited. Um, if it is Memphis Golden State, that one's going to be extremely fun because of the matchups. Um, that's that's like probably number two on my list is is Memphis Golden State is because I've never seen a team that is more comfortable 
playing in chaos than Golden State. And Memphis is that team. That's why they've had so many advantages. It's also why the games between those two teams have been ridiculous for two years. Just wild. Just insanity. So, like, that's that one's super fun on the surface with Ja and Steph and all that. But to me, it's more just about you have these two just crazy teams that are sloppy and weird and unconventional and versatile and well coached. And it's just, it's a, that one's fascinating. So, for me, it's Heat Sixers and Grizzlies uh, Warriors. I am totally on board. Thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. Always love having him. And you can check out his excellent work at the Action Network, also his podcasts with them and Locked on NBA and Locked on Nuggets. Of course, if somehow you don't, you can also follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Love having Matt on, love the conversations and made me even more amped for the playoffs, which I didn't really know was that particularly possible. Lots of fun stuff going on. If you want to support Real GM Radio, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe and download every episode, whatever podcast player you use, Apple, Spotify, really do appreciate it. Also helping other people on the show, that could be leaving a rating or review, that could be social media, whatever you want to do there. But then the single most important thing for this show and any other, honestly, that has them is checking out our sponsors, betonline.ag. CLNS50 is the promo code. You get a 50% welcome bonus and you tell them that you came from us, which I really do appreciate. can also check out my other work, Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. Nate and I are doing a ridiculous amount of content this week on Dunked On Prime. Not only gamers on every single one of these contests, but also series previews. And we went through our over-unders and we will be doing our awards podcast podcast soon and then the real fun starts of the best of seven series and we have some free episodes as well you can enjoy those if you don't want to subscribe can also check out nate and i talking on spotify live every week that will be three pacific six eastern roughly every week if it ever changes you can i'll tweet about it but it's pretty much going to be that for the duration can also check out my work at The Athletic, working on a couple different pieces there that hopefully will come out over the next few weeks. We'll have to see where all of that goes. And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise. I'm not the greatest at responding, especially right now. It is a pretty busy time of year, but I do read it, and I try to read it that day. That's that's how I, I have an inbox that they all go to, and I do that, and I get, get a fair amount. Really do appreciate it. But that is all for now, so thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.